This podcast session is a head nod or a hat tip to all the great nurse midwives that do so much to comfort, support, and educate patients through the labor process. You know, a lot of things that our nurse midwife counterparts did in labor to support their patients were traditionally viewed as kind of weird by traditional medicine because traditional medicine didn't have the RCTs or the cohort studies to back it up. Well, the truth is they do work. So in this session, we're going to talk about specifically maternal position changes in labor and why the stuff that the nurse midwives did back then and are now back in fashion are actually right. So thank you to all of you great nurse midwives that do so much for our patients, like Jennifer Light that works with us here in our area, who actually earned her doctorate degree in the discipline. And my great friend, Drew, who's actually going through his midwifery training right now. Y'all are going to be fantastic. You already are. And you're going to serve a great number of patients well. So thank you for what you do. So let's cover maternal position changes in labor. Do y'all know why we started laboring women on their back? Where did that even come from? Well, the history is kind of weird. And let's cover that now. You are now listening to my dad's podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. First, a little bit of useless trivia. Where did the term midwife actually come from? Well, according to medical tradition and medical history, it's a Middle English term where mid stands for with, and wife doesn't mean wife in the traditional sense and meaning a spouse, but it actually means woman or mother. So midwife simply means someone who was with the mother during the labor process. What would you picture if I were to say, imagine a woman in labor? Would you have the stereotypical picture of a woman panting through contractions, sweat across her brow, and lying on her back, maybe with her legs raised? Well, we've all seen the portrayals of supine positions in labor in movies and television. Well, this traditional picture was not always the case. Let's look through the historical record. Actually, early records and depictions of labor actually illustrate women not on their backs at all, but depicts them standing, kneeling, or squatting. There have even been birthing chairs or stools and hammocks for labor that have been found in ancient remains in ancient cities. Also, birthing was typically overseen by a team of midwives, which traditionally were women, because the idea of men at that time seeing a woman's exposed body was considered indecent or a perversion, especially in labor. Well, thankfully, that idea of allowing men to be in the room paved the way for, well, male physicians to help with childbirth, or I wouldn't be here at all. And it's also paved the way, of course, for male nurses in labor and delivery and even some male midwives. But it also came with a price because, you know, anytime men get involved, something's going to get messed up. And that's what actually changed for laboring women. So enter the men. Now, before we get to the male contribution of the labor position, I think it's interesting that we, if we actually look back, even around 2000 BC, there's actually old 
artifacts and old depictions coming back from old Babylonia that actually show women kneeling or squatting for birth. Interestingly, there is an ancient sculpture from Egypt that shows Cleopatra, remember she was around 69 to 30 BC, kneeling down to give birth, surrounded by five attendants. Alright, so now enter the men. It was not until male surgeons and doctors got involved with the labor process that things started to change for laboring women. In 1598, the French surgeon Jacques Guimau first advocated for a reclining birthing bed supposedly for labor and for the mother's comfort. Women actually started giving birth while lying down more frequently in the 17th century. And this change was largely influenced by the writings of Franco Marceau, a French obstetrician, which is the same Marceau that we get the Marceau maneuver for breech delivery. Marceau believed that a horizontal position would be more comfortable for the woman, even though he didn't actually ask them, and more convenient for those assisting with the birth. That's right. In other words, it was a plan to be more convenient for the delivery person, which in this case were male doctors. In his 1668 book, The Diseases of Women with Child and in the Child Bed, Marceau argued that the reclined position would be more comfortable and more convenient for the physician to assist for the labor process and for the birth process itself because it allowed for a more, well, unobstructed view of the labor process. Well, now I have to set the record straight because there is some story, there is this historical fable that the reason why women labor on their back all has to do with King Louis the Fourteenth, and it's kind of weird. Now, I can't find any real historical basis to prove this, and most have discredited the story, but you got to hear it because it's kind of weird. According to folklore, King Louis the Fourteenth had this weird fetish and this weird perversion where he got some kind of pleasure of seeing women have pain in labor and during the delivery process. So, according to this folklore, it was King Louis XIV who demanded that women lie on their backs so that he would have an unobstructed view of the birth process. Now, remember, King Louis XIV had like a gazillion children from a bunch of mistresses. So while that is true, it doesn't seem to be true that he actually forced women or made women lie on their back for the birth process. So it's kind of weird. It doesn't seem to be historically accurate. But if you ever kind of search this through historical documents, you'll see this kind of this fable from King Louis XIV, poor guy, he's getting blamed for it, who probably did not have that much to do with this whole reason of horizontal birth position. All right, let's talk about the flexible sacrum positions in labor, because I didn't actually hear of this until about five years ago, but there is actual data for that. Before we get into the data showing the evidence for flexible sacrum positions in labor, we have to first address what these actually are. Birth positions that take the weight off the sacrum and could be categorized as flexible sacrum positions are kneeling, standing, putting on all fours, lateral positioning, squatting, and giving birth on a birth seat. Now, in contrast, non-flexible sacrum positions rest the mother's weight on her tailbone. The most historic, of course, is the supine or the backline position, the semi-sitting in bed position, or even the traditional lithotomy position in stirrups. Now, physiologically, laboring in a non-supine position just makes sense. In an upright position, gravity can help bring the baby down the birth canal. 
Also, being upright results in less aortal cable compression, which, at least in theory, means better oxygen supply to the baby. Upright and knee chest positioning may also help the uterus contract more efficiently and stronger. And, of course, it helps the baby get in a better position because of rotation to allow for the cardinal movements of labor to pass through the pelvis. Show me the data. All right, where is the evidence that these things actually work? Well, since no evidence exists to support the most ideal maternal position for every woman, the maternal position has been controversial for a long period of time. Nonetheless, there are many advantages to giving birth in positions that we've talked about like squatting, kneeling, or getting on hands and knees, rather than lying on the back, and data seem to support that. MRI studies published in 2002 in the American Journal of Radiology have revealed that the pelvic outlet becomes wider when squatting on hands and knees, which helps shorten labor. The evidence largely suggests that lying on the back during birth actually can help prolong labor and may slow contractions physiologically. Yet, the majority of women, of course, in the U.S. give birth in that position. A Cochrane Systematic Review in 2017 was published titled Position in the Second Stage of Labor for Women Without Epidural Anesthesia. That review found that, quote, the findings suggest several possible benefits for upright posture in women without epidural anesthesia, and this can include a reduction in the duration of the second stage of labor, but mainly in the primogravita group. There can also be a reduction in episiotomy rates and assisted deliveries, end quote. In 2019, a separate systematic review and meta-analysis was published in BMC, pregnancy, and childbirth. This review was titled, The Effects of Maternal Birth Position on Duration of Second Stage of Labor. The authors found that, quote, the second stage duration was reduced in cases of flexible sacrum birthing positions, even though the reduction in duration varied across the studies with considerable heterogeneity. Laboring women should be encouraged to choose the most comfortable birth position, including the upright position, end quote. Now, the most recent evidence about this was published just last year in 2020 in the Journal of Clinical Nursing. The publication was titled, Effects of Flexible Sacrum Positions During the Second Stage of Labor on Maternal and Neonatal Outcomes. This was another systematic review and meta-analysis. This evaluated RCTs comparing any flexible sacrum position with non-flexible sacrum positions during the second stage of labor. The conclusions? Well, the authors found that flexible sacrum positions in the second stage of labor could reduce the incidence of operative delivery, instrumental vaginal birth, cesarean section, episiotomy, severe perineal trauma, severe pain, and may shorten the duration of active pushing in the second stage of labor. However, there was no significant difference in the total duration of the second stage of labor. Now, in the U.S. in 2021, women are still giving birth while flat on their backs, a practice that research again largely goes against. An article published in the Journal of Perinatal Education back in 2014 actually recommended women to avoid giving birth on their back. And while the Mayo Clinic notes states that there's no perfect position for labor, here's a clinical pearl. It's interesting that it recommends at least nine positions to help with birth, and none of them show a woman flat on her back. Is that wild or what? 
positions shown or recommended include leaning forward, lunging, kneeling, swaying, rocking, squatting, lying on the side, and on all fours, in other words, on hands and knees. But modern leading health experts say, ultimately, the person giving birth should be given the choice of position. And if it's her choice to lie flat on the back, then that's fine. But try to pick, of course, a lateral tilt to avoid aerator cable compression. And that's the stance of ACOG as well. ACOG states in, quote, ways to minimize interventions in labor and delivery, that because there's not one position that is completely superior to the other, really it's up to the patient to decide. Now, nonetheless, remember that it is physiological and there is data and there's something to be said for historical norms, which included laboring not on their back. And again, it wasn't until about the 17th century when men showed up and said, let's make it easy for ourselves. Uh, I mean, let's make it easier for the patient, too, and have them lie on their back. Guys, thanks for being part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. 